I think it's something that we've really uh, failed on in terms of that priority for the first few years of their life and as well as up, up through preschool, those critical years that are the most important investments that we can make in the long term. At every level of government, far too often, people are very far removed from experiences that families are facing today. And it is much different than it was decades ago. It is drastically more expensive, more difficult to find, and it has a significant impact on our economy and uh, the opportunities for women in this country. This hits women the hardest. That's a frank and salient assessment from State Senator Brittany Pedersen. She represents District 22 in Colorado, and she'll be running to represent U.S. House District 7 this fall. If you don't live in those districts, you might start today's episode thinking, how does Senator Pedersen's opinions impact me? It's not a totally unfair question. If I were in your shoes, I might be wondering the same thing. But today's conversation holds weight for all kids and families, and we're going to tell you why. My name's Will Holden. And this is Better Beginnings. Welcome back to Better Beginnings, a four-episode special edition podcast on how to navigate Colorado's complex early childhood system. More importantly, the show is searching for an answer to this question. How do we make this system better? As I said, my name's Will, and I'm the Director of Communications and Storytelling at Gary Ventures. We're a philanthropic organization in Denver working to ensure that all Colorado kids and families have the same access to opportunity. Before we get into this episode, we should mention that this is a serial-style podcast, so this whole show will make more sense if you go back to the beginning and start with episode one. Soon, you're going to meet Colorado Senator Brittany Pedersen. If you do live in the U.S. House District 7, her name is one you should get to know. Right now, Senator Pedersen represents a small portion of this district as the state representative for Colorado's District 22. But this fall, she's running to replace longtime U.S. Representative Ed Perlmutter, who's stepping down this year after eight terms in the House. And the race for his soon-to-be-vacated seat is expected to be one of the most competitive in the country this year. So today, if you live in Jefferson, Broomfield, Chafee, Lake, Park, Fremont, Teller, or Custer counties, this is an important episode for you because you're gonna be treated to a real in-depth conversation about Senator Pedersen's track record when it comes to issues that impact kids and families in our state. And we're gonna learn how she would represent you at the national level. But there's a takeaway in this episode for all Coloradans and maybe even anyone who stumbles on this podcast. It's easy to sit back and gripe about government programs. It's easy to knock politicians and say they never get anything done and they're only concerned about getting reelected. It's much harder to have respectful conversations with elected officials and try to work with them to achieve beneficial outcomes. It's also easy for me to say that as a white, straight, cisgendered, able-bodied male with a good financial and emotional support system. There are marginalized folks out there right now who are angry and justifiably so. But when we take time to find common ground as humans, especially when it comes to policy debates, there's evidence to show we can make real progress for kids and families. We talked about the Denver Preschool Program in episode one. Thanks to a coalition of business, philanthropic, and policy leaders from all walks of life, that program has helped more than 500,000 kids from low-income backgrounds gain access to high-quality preschool programs. We also talked about Proposition EE, which is basically the reason for this whole show. Thanks to a similar coalition of everyday folks, including Colorado voters, 
Prop EE passed with an overwhelming 66% of the vote in 2020. And thanks to that effort and the recently passed House Bill 1295, every child in the state is gonna have access to free preschool in 2023. Those are programs that can lead to generational gains for kids and families. And they started with the kinds of conversations we're gonna to have today. As you know, Brooke and her husband Worth are expecting their first child on July 1st. It's a boy, by the way. They'll be working parents, and as such, they're hoping to find a childcare solution by November 1st. When we first began chatting with the birds on March 1st, they were months into their childcare search and things weren't looking good. Forget about choice, they couldn't find any childcare centers that had an opening when they needed it. In episode two, the birds got some good news. We joined them for a tour of Arvada West Kindercare, where they were informed if they were willing to start paying for an open slot come August 1st, they would be able to send their child to this center on November 1st, which is when Brooke and Worth have to go back to work. That was a big win, but now Brooke and Worth are wondering if they're actually gonna be able to afford it. The current option for baby boy bird to attend childcare is gonna be more expensive than Brooke and Worth's current mortgage. So right now, the birds are on the hunt for any and all childcare options that might better fit their budget. All of that was swirling around in the back of Brooke's mind as she sat down to ask Senator Pedersen a simple question. How do we make our early childhood system work better for all involved parties? But aside from being an expecting mom on the hunt for childcare, Brooke's also just an expecting mom, someone who's anxious about giving birth and becoming a parent for the first time. And Senator Pedersen, she's a new mom to a two-year-old, so she's got some perspective on what Brooke's going through. At its heart, what we offer you today is a conversation between two humans. And it starts with a simple gesture of kindness and humor from one working mom excited to welcome a new member to this club. You're gonna make it. <laughs> That's, uh, it gets better. I mean, it's the most magical time to have a, a child, but it also, looking back, I just, you know, can't believe that I made it through. It just, uh, it's so difficult in the beginning with this huge change in your life and trying to still balance and somehow um, do your job. But every day gets a little easier. You figure it out. They start getting more independent and uh, it is the best thing I have ever done. So uh, every day is more rewarding than I could have imagined. And I just, you know, my heart explodes. So uh, it is well worth the the late nights of, of not sleeping and, um, you know, being tired for basically <laughs> the entire year. Uh, but I promise you'll get through it. As it turns out, those were some words Brooke really appreciated hearing. Yeah, that, that strikes um, home for me, um, especially, you know, loving what I do for my job and being eager and excited to get back, but also being really excited about um, the experience of becoming a mom for the first time. So um, there's lots of rewards and lots of uh, probably a lot of lack of sleep. <laughs> you know, you always hear or think as you're in your pregnancy, you hear about uh, your nine to 10 months and the exhaustion that you have. And you're just focusing on getting through that period until your uh, baby's born. And uh I've always heard that being a parent is a difficult job, but yeah, realizing that it's just the beginning of the lack of sleep. <laughs> As the conversation wore on, Brooke and Senator Pedersen began to find out they had a lot more in common. 
When she heard Brooke had risen through the city government ranks to become director of the Anti-Trafficking Alliance for the Denver District Attorney's Office, Senator Pedersen raised this question. I don't know if you've been dealing with some identity issues with, you know, having a really just focused on your career and and the work that you do there and then kind of bringing in how people start seeing you differently, how you're treated differently, thinking about like this new role that you never had before. What has that been like for you? Um, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. I've always been uh, passionate about my career and career oriented and um, a lot of my social circle because of what I do for a living are very independent um, women who um, don't have children. <laughs> I, you know, told you that I'm looking forward to returning to the office, but the reality of like being a mom and having that excitement and that nurturing feeling, um, I, you know, I'll, I know I'll want to be with my baby. Um, and expect that to come naturally. So trying to find a balance and knowing that the career isn't necessarily gonna go away. Um, life is just going to be getting better and balanced in a different way. Yes, I really struggled with that too. Um, trying to make sure that I was giving my son all that he deserved and also doing the things that I know that I need to do to be fulfilled in my life. And some people are uh, they decide that they want to be home full time and, and, and that's their path. But for me, it was really, uh, of course, important that I was able to get back to the job that I love so much. Before she began searching for childcare, Senator Pedersen was well acquainted with the fact that our state laws seem to have been designed by folks who traditionally had not considered the day-to-day reality of caring and bearing children. In fact, as it turns out, Senator Pedersen was the first legislator in state history to request parental leave. In order to be gone for an extended period of time, you have to have your absence be categorized as a a long-term illness, which is not what having a baby is. And so uh, we're updating our laws to be more inclusive, but I, I had to get approval and, you know, we had to jump through some hoops in order to make sure that I was still paid for the leave that I had. And that's just where the hoop jumping began. Because, as we well know, more than halfway through this podcast, hoop jumping is a certainty for working parents when it comes to the search for childcare and preschool. Much like Brooke, Senator Pedersen was four months pregnant when her family started this search. I could not believe the wait list that existed and, and also how how expensive childcare was. I mean, I've been hearing about it. I've been working on the issues. I, I've always cared deeply about it. But when you're personally going through this, Uh, to see just how bad it is out there. I constantly think about families who are struggling right now, who are not in the position that I'm in to be able to pay for this, the critical support that I need in order to get back to my my career and, and the life that I need to live. So what was Senator Pedersen's experience? She told us that she found a childcare center that her family loved, but this center had no openings, no shocker there, so they eagerly requested to join the waitlist. And luckily, Senator Pedersen said, her family got the top spot on that waitlist. The only problem? The center suspected it would be three years until they had an opening. Three years. I just didn't know how I was gonna, what we were gonna do in the meantime. Um, they said that openings usually come up earlier, but it was, I just could not believe it was that long looking out on when I could definitely have a spot for my child. I can't believe I'm about to say this because the pandemic has been an awful experience for all of us, Senator Pedersen included. 
But in this case, with the COVID-19 pandemic beginning shortly after her son Davis was born, it gave Senator Pedersen some flexibility and a stroke of luck as a new parent. We were in a, a stay-at-home order. And so that was right in the beginning of the pandemic. The silver lining on the pandemic is that I was able to be home to take care of Davis. Of course, I was still working, uh, but I was able to spend nine months with him and a spot opened up only because of the pandemic when people were pulling their kids out because they were worried about their well-being. And so that's the only reason that I had access to childcare. Senator Pedersen's story hit very close to home for Brooke. As we know from episode one, Brooke and Worth started searching for childcare when they were about four months pregnant. And very similarly, the wait list they encountered were lengthy, if they even existed at all. This world of scarcity, Brooke says, backs families into a corner and our kids' futures along with it. So it really came down to not really finding one that we liked. It was just finding one that had an opening at the right time. Um, so when you think about what, you know, wanting the best for your child and wanting a specific curriculum or specific things at a daycare, different criteria, it, that kind of goes out the window right now and you just choose what is available if there is anything available. As we know from episode two, Brooke and Worth have paid a waitlist fee to hold a childcare slot at Arvada West Kindercare. It is a great center that would meet all the birds' needs. That's not the problem. And even though they aren't planning on sending their kid there until November 1st, right now they're willing to start paying tuition on August 1st, which is when this kindercare location actually has a slot that opens up. The problem, as Brooke is about to explain to Senator Pedersen, is that in an ideal world, the birds would love to find a part-time childcare option. Because of you know the work from home policies, I, I do work from home two days a week, and so my partner works from home three days a week, and um, I think that it would be great to do part-time and spend more time with our baby and have him home with us more. Um, but part-time is not an option. So, uh, you know, they say you can bring in part-time, but pay for full-time still, uh, which, yeah, is, exactly. it, it, which is what we'll end up doing. Um, but yeah, the again, super grateful and um, relieved that we found a place. And then as soon as that, that happens, as soon as you can kind of take a breath, then you think, how are we going to pay for this? Okay. So we've level set on the notion that our early childhood system is failing to work for pretty much everybody. Why then haven't our state lawmakers done more to fix it? Brooke posed that question to Senator Pedersen, and her answer was direct. I think it's something that we've really uh, failed on in terms of that priority for the first few years of their life, and as well as up, up through preschool, those critical years that are the most important investments that we can make in the long term. So many of our policies uh, have gaping holes and it's because far too often it is men who are writing them. One case in point, Senator Pedersen said, is that our state's welfare programs don't cover the purchase of diapers as an essential household item. And so families are you know, using trash bags and those are not luxury items. Those are essential and uh, are significant benefits for not just the babies, but the mother's well-being because your your child is being taken care of and is healthy and clean and um, and not not screaming. With that reality in mind, Senator Pedersen worked to pass Senate Bill 27, affectionately known as the Diaper Bill, to allow the Colorado Department of Human Services to implement a distribution program 
that provides diapers and baby supplies to families who are struggling to access them. Senator Pedersen is also working to support a program funded by Mile High United Way that helps empower local women to create high-quality, safe childcare centers directly in their communities as a means to combat the childcare deserts that we know exist in many neighborhoods. In Senator Pedersen's eyes, those experiencing the problems need to be at the table when we consider policy choices aimed at addressing said problems. Far too often, we don't have women who are elected to office and we don't have younger moms who are currently going through it and know firsthand what families are struggling with. And that has really been eye-opening for me, no matter how much I've spent uh, learning about this topic, advocating and passing policies, going through it personally, there is nothing that is more impactful. Brooke noted another thing about a large portion of our elected officials as well, particularly those at the federal level. And this harkens back to something her husband Worth mentioned in episode two. No disrespect to our elders here, but let's call a spade a spade. A lot of our federal lawmakers right now are old, like historically old. We'd be remiss if we didn't give the 117th Congress a nod for their commitment to diversity. This is the most diverse group of representatives in US history in terms of gender, race, and ethnicity. That said, it's also the oldest Congress in US history. The average age of a federal lawmaker in April 2022 was 59 years old. Comparatively, the median age of Americans, according to the most recent census data, is 38 years old. Compared to the 116th Congress, the age group with the largest increase in members of the Congress in this session were in their 80s and 50s. On the other side of the coin, the age group with the largest decrease in members of Congress were in their 30s. That fact isn't lost on Brooke. They're just so far removed from having or remembering what it was like to have young children. Do you think that could be impacting some of the laws and policies that are prioritized as well? Absolutely. At every level of government, far too often, people are very far removed from experiences that families are facing today. And uh, it is much different than it was decades ago. It is drastically more expensive, uh, more difficult to find, and it has a significant impact on our economy and uh, the opportunities for women in this country. Of course, all of these issues still impact um, men for for dads, but we know at twice the rate women are dropping out of the workforce because of lack of childcare. And so we know that this hits women the hardest. So step one, it seems, coming out of this discussion between Brooke and Senator Pedersen, is electing more young female leaders, along with folks who are closer to the problems we're trying to solve. That will likely benefit kids and families, especially those trying to navigate our early childhood system as it exists today. But let's be honest, that could take years, and families need a better early childhood system much sooner than that. So what can we do right now, Senator Pedersen? There is a lot that we can do as policymakers to actually uh, help fill these gaps and help streamline the process so people can actually find what's available and they can have information on, you know, what, the quality of, of childcare. And this year is actually another very big, big year for childcare. And it's doing some of these things that I've talked about um, in streamlining these processes and and especially when it comes to preschool as well, so that people are able to actually navigate, see where they can send their kids, 
Um, and we did pass something at the state level to help with some of these costs. Um, but we still have a lot of work to do in making sure that this is fully available to every chi- child here in Colorado. Senator Pedersen is talking about House Bill 221295, and we've talked a lot about it on this show. It was signed into law by Governor Jared Polis on April 25th. Thanks to Schoolhouse Rock, many of us millennials, a lot of whom are becoming parents right now, know how a bill becomes a law. I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill, right? It's a lot harder to understand how laws actually get implemented and whether the intent of the law actually gets preserved and accomplished along the way. So for starters, we have to talk about what this bill does and doesn't promise. We talked a lot about this in episode two, so we'll try to provide a quick refresher here. One of the focuses of this bill is universal pre-K, or UPK for short. What UPK promises is at least 10 hours of free early childhood education per week during the school year for every Colorado child in that year before they enter kindergarten. It's a great start, especially when you consider what we had before. But we also know it's only a part-time, part-year solution for working families, many of whom need a full-time, full-year solution. The good news is that House Bill 221295 has a tool to remedy that issue as it works to create a universal, accountable preschool program. The bill starts by offering more hours of care and education for families who need them. Additionally, this bill will create one simple application that matches families to available financial aid and to the childcare and preschool options that best suit their needs. Last but not least, this bill unifies all Colorado early childhood programs and services under the new Department of Early Childhood, making it easier for families to find the services they need while diminishing administrative responsibilities for providers, thus freeing them up to focus on delivering quality programs. But the difficulty of finding open childcare and preschool slots isn't the only problem our early childhood system is facing, right? For one, we didn't talk about any tools with this bill to increase the pay scale for early childhood providers, and that's a topic that was weighing heavily on Brooke's mind as she spoke with Senator Pedersen. What about um, the daycare industry itself or the workers in in daycare? Um, They're doing some of the most important work in um, our country and they're highly underpaid. There's a and because of that, there's a ton of turnover, um, which is only, you know, increasing to the the child care crisis. Has there been any conversation in how to support our our child care providers? Yeah, this is a really good question, because in order if we're relying on the private market to fill some of these gaps, it has to be a business model that they can succeed with. And it's very difficult to deal with the costs of of the buildings, the staff, and then, you know, something that isn't talked about enough, I think, is the liability insurance in Colorado is very high. And so the cost of actually providing these services uh, aren't necessarily the, uh, what some would see as the best business investment, although we know this is critical for our public good. <laughs> Senator Pedersen did mention that policymakers have been able to direct some emergency federal aid issued during the pandemic to help stabilize our early childhood sector right now. But that's just a temporary fix. And then there's the big kicker, the cost of childcare and preschool. We didn't talk at all about tools in this bill to decrease those costs. And we know infant care in Colorado costs around 1300 bucks a month on average, one of the highest tuition rates in the nation. Brooke pressed Senator Pedersen on that as well. 
and Brooks specifically mentioned the monthly payouts families had been receiving during the pandemic thanks to the child tax credit. Receiving these payments monthly has been a big boost for families who need extra financial support to cover childcare and preschool costs, and the payment plan expired at the end of 2021. Do you foresee any ability or um, to bring that back or to um, put pressure on our legislators to say, yes, this is something that's been very helpful to American families and we need this because I can tell you that would be a huge help to me to have monthly. Absolutely. Well, I applaud Senator Bennett for his dedication on this issue for years. For those who don't know, Senator Michael Bennett is one of our two U.S. senators from Colorado. He's a former superintendent of Denver Public Schools and regularly advocates on behalf of kids and families. To Senator Pedersen's point, Senator Bennett has given several impassioned speeches on the Senate floor in support of extending the expanded child tax credit and what it would mean for parents in Colorado. Back to Senator Pedersen. Sometimes that's absolutely the best way that we can help families. It's not just, you know, making sure that these services are available, but it's uh, money back into their pockets for, for the ones who need it most. So uh, that absolutely needs to continue. I know that Senator Bennett is uh, going to be working tirelessly to make sure that that happens. But uh, I think it's important to hear from people like you on the difference that it would make when, once you have your child. So there you have it, folks. If we want our early childhood system to deliver the things we need, we're going to have to keep pressing. But right now, that's another story for another day. Today, the job for the newly formed Department of Early Childhood is to operationalize all the needed things that House Bill 22-1295 does provide. Again, most notably, that's 10 hours a week of universal pre-K for all kids the year before they enter kindergarten, more hours of care for families who need them, and one universal application that families can fill out to match them to the best funding and provider sources. Families will absolutely have an easier time finding childcare and preschool options, and providers will have an easier time offering high quality programs if our early childhood system can deliver all of those things. But how do we build this kind of massive universal early childhood system, the likes of which our state has never seen? And what will it actually mean for your family's childcare and preschool search? Those are big questions we must answer. Next time on Better Beginnings, we'll speak with a team in Jefferson County that has actually built a technology platform to manage this kind of universal system. Then we'll talk to a pair of entrepreneurs who believe there's a path to scale this sort of simple, user-friendly technology platform for our whole state. We'll explain how families and providers would use it and when you can expect to see it roll out. Gary Ventures is proud to support the Coalition for Better Beginnings and all of those invested in creating a simpler, more equitable early childhood system for Colorado families and providers. There's a huge list of mighty allies behind this campaign, and we'd be here like all day if we were gonna give them the recognition they deserve. But we do wanna give special thanks to the Colorado Children's Campaign. They've taken a vital leadership role in this coalition. Special thanks is also due to Senator Brittany Pedersen and her whole team, including Emma Howard. Not all politicians prioritize speaking as openly and frankly as Senator Pedersen just did with us, and we thank her for taking the time to do so. We also have to continue to thank Clayton Early Learning Center. They're one of the key early childhood service providers in Denver, and they helped connect us to Brooke and Worth for this podcast. Speaking of whom, thanks enough can never be provided to the birds, but specifically Brooke in this episode. 
She's been so courageous in speaking out about our need for a better early childhood system, and it's our privilege to be able to share her story with you. Our executive producers on this podcast are Sharice Harris, Mike Johnston, and Steph Clothier. Armand Piku and the talented team at Center Table edit this podcast, and they do a bang-up job too. And last but not least is Algernon Felice Jr., my storytelling partner in crime, and our magnanimous producer of all media at Gary Ventures. Literally, none of this happens without him. See you next time.